0: Welcome to Osteo, that's with a capital TEA, where osteo warriors and treatment and recent survivors spill the tea on all things osteosarcoma and cancer from the adolescent, young adult patient perspective. Listen in on our honest and personal conversations about our osteo experiences, stories, and who knows what else we tend to get sidetracked. This podcast discusses all aspects of the young adult cancer experience in a conversational format audience discretion is advised. Like and follow MIB agents on social media for all the hot goss and intel. Hello,
1: everybody. Welcome to an amazing episode of Osteo. We are going to be talking with some survivors of osteosarcoma to kind of show what the other side is like. I know that there are so many stories, you know, like Camille and I's where, where, um, you know, we are still kind of in the battle, as they would say, if you're, if you use battle terminology. Um, so it'll, it'll be really refreshing kind of to hear, you know, their perspectives. And I don't know about you all, but it definitely gives Camille and I hope that there, that there can be a positive end to our journeys. Um, so yeah, we're really excited. And, uh, another thing we're really excited for at the end of this month is Giving Tuesday. Don't leave the date. It is November 28th, 2023. It is the number one day to give money to MIB. Please consider supporting us, the MIB Agents, Osteosarcoma Alliance. You can donate at mibagents.org. There's lots of buttons that say donate. You can't miss it. Uh, with the collective contributions in science, patient support, donations and time, We know our osteosorcoma community understands how to be the change you wish to see in the world. This month, please continue to use your powers for good and be the I and MIB to make it better because we can't make it better without you. So please consider donating. And uh, Camille,
0: what's the tea? Literally. The tea today is, um, what is it? It's my blueberry lavender tea that I've shared before, but God. in my new mug that I've painted with my friends. The lighting is so awful. Wait, it looks so good though. I thought that that was professional. I am a professional, so technically it is professional. But it's a little cold <laughs> now. But actually, it's freezing. I don't know how that's possible. But um, <laughs> I'd give it like a five out of ten because it's not very hot. But uh, so it's not like a refresher moment. It's not, a, it's, no,
1: no, okay, I got it, it. I it is, it is colder where you are than it is here, it's about 80 degrees here today, so. It's true, it's been getting down in the temp, temps oh, over here. Not here, I'm jealous, I like the cold, um, I am drinking, um, some coffee that my mom usually gets from our Keurig, it's like Brazilian medium roast, I don't know um and then i put this chocolate metabolism powder in it it's not one of those like fake out like diet supplements that like influencers sell like it's like a legitimate like you know it's supposed to help curb cravings but it's also really good for you it's got vitamins in it oh and it tastes like chocolate but it doesn't have sweetener so it's like that rich chocolate you know so it tastes really good in coffee brings out the flavor of the coffee and the chocolate in it, so yummy together um, and I added a little special flavoring to it as well that is definitely helping with my mood. And it smells like Christmas, so that's okay. uh, really nice. And uh, so I'm going to give it a solid 10 out of 10, even though it's kind of lukewarm now. Um, but it's giving me that nice little boost of energy and holiday spirit.
0: Nice. All right, well, I guess without further ado, here we go. On to the interview. Woo-hoo. Woo so welcome, Maeve, to Osteo. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me.
1: We're so excited to have you. This is an episode that we've been wanting to do for a while. So I know that Camille and I are really excited, and it's going to be a great
0: time. So I guess. Yeah, uh, thanks for asking, me. <laughs> of course. So I guess without, a fur- uh, without further ado, um, we can jump into questions. So can you share the story of your diagnosis and treatment? yeah, for sure.
2: Um, I was originally diagnosed in May of 2011, mm-hmm. which it's crazy that it's been that long at that point because I feel like a lot of times it feels like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I think about how much time it has been, it like is insane. But um, it was the spring of my sixth grade year. Um, I started having pain in my leg like my proximal right tibia area. Um, I was really active. Uh, I loved basketball, but it was like soccer season. I was playing bo- volleyball um, and I just started having pain, but it, I didn't like injure myself at basketball or anything. Like I just, for no real reason, it seemed like my leg was hurting. Um, and then my mom was just kind of like, go outside and play. Like, yes, you're fine. Um, which like is a normal reaction because I was like active and whatnot. Um, but for whatever reason, my dad was like, let's just go to the pediatrician. Um, and I had just started at this new pediatrician practice, um, a couple of months beforehand. Um, and I think like my diagnosis is unique from other people that I've talked to because I was diagnosed really quickly from when I started having symptoms um, and unfortunately I think that was kind of born from the fact that another patient in my pediatrician's practice was actively undergoing treatment for osteosarcoma. So I think it was like more top of mind than it typically is for like a state yeah. of pediatrician. Um, so I went like right away to get an x-ray, um, and I'm from Long Island. So within a week I was at um, Memorial Sloan Kettering in Manhattan, um, having a biopsy. So That's kind of leading up to it um and i think i also like found out that i had cancer in a unique way which um looking back i honestly think was for the best and it's kind of funny which is not i feel like what people usually say but um i knew like i was having a biopsy but i was 11 like i didn't know what any words meant um i like had heard them talking about it too where i heard them say osteosarcoma but I wasn't really thinking about what any of that actually meant. And no one in my family had had cancer before. So I just didn't know. Um, And I had my biopsy and then I was still like post-op. And it's like the first thing I remember from waking up, but I don't know how much time it actually passed. Um, My recovery nurse came in and she told me that her cat had cancer, but it was doing great after chemotherapy. And I was just like... (laughs) i remember like turning to my mom and i was like do i have cancer and she was like a little bit <laughs> a little bit oh god just a smidge just yeah just a smidgen a
0: little,
2: bit. <laughs> a little. um so like i mean no pot intended the cow was kind of out of the bag at that point <laughs> um <laughs> and i mean it was like probably better because like i don't know who told you guys but i feel like no one really wants to do that a person so yeah. the job was just kind of like taken away from everyone else so um <laughs> you're like yeah catch out of the bag <laughs> i guess like so, yeah i have cancer <laughs> um <laughs> it's, it's it's yeah i that you were
1: also right proximal tibia because i was also right proximal tibia okay yeah and and we were, we're so. we were both kyle right Yeah. Okay. All right, all right, all right. I was oh, not sure, not sure if there were past <laughs> conversations we talked about that, so I was like, okay,
0: right proximal tibia, little group, <laughs>
2: we're double observers.
0: I'm also right tibia osteogirly. Not, I don't know if it's proximal, but... Like, yeah, yeah. closer to your name, I guess it's proximal, but yeah. I, g- I guess it was middle, sort of. Okay. Yeah. Similar. So we're also in the same boat. <laughs> to be a gang
1: uh, forever <laughs>
2: <laughs> um and then i guess for my treatment started like shortly thereafter with math chemotherapy i think like similar to everyone else um and sloan is a pediatric day hospital so we drove like back and forth um from long island to the city every day my dad like happened to work in the city so um rather than like commuting on the train which he had always done he would just drive in in the morning and drop me and my mom off and then after work come back to sloan pick us up drive back um which definitely was a lot but that's also all i knew like they didn't have i was never inpatient unless i was having surgery or um I, like, never really occasionally got intrapenic fevers, but, like, those were really the only instances when they would do hospitalization. So I definitely liked, like, being able to go home and sleep in my own bed, but it was definitely hard. Like, it was just a lot of time in the car, and especially after surgeries, it was just, like, definitely painful to be driving. Um, But my mom would kind of just, like, sit in the back and, like, hold my leg. (laughs) And we made the best of it. Um, But my um limb solid surgery originally i had a fibular graph from my left leg um which like seemed great in theory and like it's great for some people but um never really worked for me i um even after then treatment was just kind of like in and out of the or for two years trying to promote healing but i never had a union um so that was definitely tough um but it then ultimately on may 6 2014 which was like three years from my original diagnosis um figured out that i had a a local relapse um so at that time fortunately still had not metastasized um but local relapses i think are kind of complex like they traditionally um are a very poor prognosis um so what was really like kind of unknown, but decided to do um, an above knee amputation and then was treated with ifosamide and etoposide. Um, and chemo the second time around was much, much, much harder in my body um, altogether. I think I just had like much more awful side effects um, and then ultimately ended up stopping treatment early um earthen plants just because it was like i think the chemo is gonna kill me before or, or anything else yeah. so um i don't really know why but for whatever reason knock on wood i'm still um, and it's be been nine years now so i mean i feel like that's osteosarcoma like it just doesn't really make any sense but <laughs> <laughs> that's my story sorry and no, no mets to the lungs? No, I've never had um, lung mets.
1: That's, I mean, just, just hearing your story, and I'm sure you're sick of hearing this because we all hear this all the time, but it is inspiring and it does give us hope because obviously Camille and I, we still have it, you know, we're, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm just over five years in, still have it, Um, haven't been NED. I know Camille has, has relapsed. As for as many times as she has fingers, essentially. So not a <laughs> um, it's just I, I I know that sharing your story with the but you know with the audience is so crucial just because it's like so many of us feel like we've been in it like in the game not that it's a game but you know we we've we've been in for so long we're exhausted yeah it's just so refreshing to hear a success story rather than you know the you know. Blah, blah, blah is remembered for you know on their birthday which are, are touching posts and they should be out there everyone should be remembered but
2: we want to hear the good news too yeah. oh well thank you it's nice that you guys are you know offering that perspective even in the middle of everything so I appreciate it of um
1: so what would you tell your younger self you know what what would you tell a newly diagnosed osteopatient like if you were kind of would would you let the cat out of the bag uh, like that nurse did or you know what what, what would
2: you kind of go with I know um, that's a question that I definitely struggle with (laughs) Um, and I don't know why like I just have a really great answer Um, but I think like everyone's just so different Uh, I do feel like for me at least like I think that I definitely wanted to have all of the information even when I was young like I really wanted to be an active member of my care team and involved in making decisions so I think that like that's important even when you're working with um, young kids and their parents like to include them in conversation and I feel like rather than it overwhelming me it really helped me to understand like why we needed to do this even though it made me feel so awful um so i think that was important for me i also feel like i just would tell myself like it's okay to not be okay mm-hmm. like i really really struggled i think much more so which i'm sure you can relate to with my relapse as opposed to my original diagnosis i like when i was First diagnosed, I, I was of course scared just because I didn't know what it meant, but I felt confident that I was gonna be okay. And I definitely didn't feel that way when I relapsed. And then on top of that, I think like I knew how bad it was gonna be. There was no like ignorance and like, oh, like this will be fine. Um, so I think just I would be like, it's okay. Like this sucks, and that's like okay to acknowledge and yeah. like. You're gonna have big feelings, and it's gonna take a really long time to process them. <laughs> I'm still working on it. Yeah,
1: I, sure. I think that, that that's a great answer. You know, it's um, Camille and I had had our uh, coping to music episode last month, um, which was one that we we really were excited about too. And um, one of the songs that I made sure was on our list was it's never really over by katie perry because um yeah if you're in remission even if you're through it you know it's it's so hard you know because because you do still relive that and you're still you know in it but you're out of it and it, there's the, always the fear of relapse and our, yeah. so i feel like you know just i guess our next question would be like where where are you now um like, kind of like, what are, what are the questions that still plague your mind? But how, how are you moving forward?
2: Yeah. Um, well, currently, um, I, I did graduate from Northeastern. So I've been living in Boston now for. Mm-hmm. This is my seventh year here, which is crazy. Um, but I am also hoping to go to medical school. I'm um, going through the application cycle now. So hopefully, as of right now, I, I mean, I think I definitely will want to work in pediatric oncology, yeah. um, but it's one of those things where people are like, you have to have an open mind, but like, come on. I think that's probably what i <laughs> is <I'm just> doing. <laughs> yeah. For you, I mean, I think you're sold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think I'm sold. Um, and I, I do work at Dana-Farber um, in the Janeway lab, so uh, I've been kind of involved in clinical research from that side for the last three or so years um which has been so great just to like learn from such incredible mentors Yeah. um and i i think like also as part of why i feel um confident that hopefully one day i can work in that field i do enjoy research so we'll see Uh, uh um but i mean it it's definitely um less hard now than it was when i started like i feel like not necessarily when i started working at dina farber but i feel like the first few times like i was just in hospitals after i was done with treatment like i would just panic could like i feel like you couldn't really tell but like my heart would just be racing and it's like i wanted to be there and i knew i was there for an important reason but like physiologically hey I was just, like, not okay. Um, And I think that that's, like, definitely, of course, improved a ton. And, like, I I want to go to medical school, so I figured it out. But um, it's definitely taken, like, years to kind of, like, distance myself from that. I don't know if it's, like, compartmentalization or what. Um, And, like, some days are definitely harder than others. Um, But ultimately, I think that, like, I do really like the intellectual side of it. And I do really like you know, acting with like patients, and I think that it's like so important. So that kind of outweighs the moments where I'm like, "This is really triggering to me." Yeah. <laughs> but I think that that'll probably be like a balancing act forever. <laughs> it 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 it
1: didn't I mean it is. You know, the body does keep the score, whether we like it or not. Yeah, <laughs> That's <what I> mean. <laughs> <laughs> the body keeps the score. But can we reset the scoreboard real quick? Um, yeah, but. <laughs> um, it, it's so hard, you know, like whenever I get off, you know, on on the exit, you know, towards the hospital, you know, it's the same kind of boulevards, Wilshire, that that connects both hospitals, you know, the main UCLA campus and then UCLA Santa Monica where I did most of my treatment. And so, you know, you go east for one, west for the other. But um, obviously, it's, it's a huge street in LA, you know, it, it connects most of the west side. So I use that exit a lot. And still to this day, I get nauseated every time I exit. And I haven't been on chemo in over a year. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's still just kind of, you know, your body just has that physiological response of, oh, something really traumatic happens every time. Yeah. Even if it's not every time, it's just you have to rewire. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. No, no, totally. I completely relate to that.
0: Yeah, major props to you for taking power back and you know working with osteosarcoma specific research like that is like what a comeback story you know seriously i look up <laughs> um oh thank you i don't know i
2: i, I yeah i think it's i definitely love it i think there. there are a lot of times where i'm like i'm not smart enough for this but i feel like everyone feels that way everyone <laughs> whenever plus her
1: syndrome comes on yeah. <laughs> I feel like especially like women going into medical fields, like women going into STEM fields in general, it's so common to have imposters. syndrome, yeah. Even though it's like you, you obviously went to a really high ranked university and you're very well educated and you've been, you know, bull believe me, been there, done that, you know, like you've, you've gone. <laughs> um, But it's still that like, oh, but am I good enough to make the cut? And it's like, yes. <laughs> like, you just have to remind yourself you. That. yeah. <laughs> you are you are so totally doing your best. You are kicking butt. Um, cancer is a bitch. You are a batter bitch. Yeah. And, you know, I, I I just think that that's, you know, kind of one of the phrases that's gotten me through. And you're just, you're really kicking butt. Like, make make, make yeah. sure you see yourself. Um, You know, make sure you're like, okay, I got this, you know, because
2: you totally do. I know. I'm not great at that, but I'll (laughs) try.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you, Maeve, so much for joining us today and sharing your story. I am sure that the audience will be so inspired and motivated by your story. So thank you so much again. Yes, thank you.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. It's also just so nice to see both of you and chat a little bit. I Absolutely. You're both so funny and so (laughs) amazing. And... (laughs) I would have definitely wanted this when I was in
0: treatment. Oh, that's good to hear.
2: that really means a lot. So to awesome that you guys host all of these great episodes. I mean it. I do. We have a lot of family. We're yeah. really lucky
1: that we have such a great rapport. And you know, even even though it's like we still have not met in person, which is so. I weird. know. Oh my god, it's is. so weird. But we're like besties, and we text all the time. um so, you know, it's 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 just so nice having that camaraderie and and I know that, you know, you're yeah. former president of the Junior Advisory Board. You know, you were you were president my first year. I still remember you interviewing me um and I was so nervous cuz I Oh, really? Didn't know anything about Helen <laughs> yet? Um mm-hmm. and you know, then I got on the board and I was like, this girl's so cool. And so it it's oh, no. you you've had, had such you yeah. have, <laughs> You've had such an impact on MIB and I, I just hope that you know that and hope that you know how appreciated it is.
2: Thank you. I, I'm i just, I'll just say thank you. I, I need to, I'm working on just accepting, accepting. Not easy. <laughs> it's not But easy. I honest, you guys are so funny and I have fun listening. So thank oh, you for doing so it. Fun. Well, we will
1: continue trying our best to be the comedic relief and the horrors of life. the horror. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, literally.
1: <laughs> Sloan, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so happy to have you on. Um, so obviously we did our episode of Osteo together and we had so much fun. so I'm really glad that you're here today. Um, again, this is our you know survivorship episode. And so you know we just wanted to ask you some questions. Um, but you know, let's just start, you know, at the very big at the very beginning, a very great place to start. Uh, so can you share the story of your diagnosis and treatment for those who don't know?
3: Yeah,, so I started having leg problems when I was around seven. Um, I was a very avid baseball player, and I started to really not be able to run um and so we went to the doctor they were like well you can't see anything you should be fine maybe it's just growing pains whatever so i started wearing like braces on my right leg and all of that my parents just thought i was like a hypochondriac <laughs> um but it like it kept going for a long time like multiple years and we kept going back um and eventually i started having pain in my left ankle um, and I was diagnosed with Sievers disease, which is a growth plate disorder, um, commonly in like taller kids, um, a lot of which play sports. Um, so, you know, obviously that would be the conventional diagnosis, but they didn't really seem to wanna look further. Um, and I can't remember exactly how old I was, but it was somewhere between seven and 12. And then um, just before I turned 12, my leg was getting really painful but I didn't quite know how to communicate that. Yeah. And then I fell in PE in like fall and i landed directly on my right knee. And I was like, what is this? I cannot walk. This is really painful. And um, so my parents, again, took me to, we took, they took me to the chiropractor first to get like acupuncture to see if it was something muscular because, you know, sports injury mm-hmm. You know, and also I've seen so many doctors and they did not care. Um, and so I did some acupuncture and all of that kind of stuff. And it came ve- became very apparent to him that it was not muscular and there was something very, very wrong. Um, so he sent me for an x-ray of my knee and there was just like this tiny sliver of like gray something on the very top of it. And... So he was like, I need to get you scheduled for an MRI, but that takes like four weeks. And so I actually went on a skiing trip in Canada in the Rockies, the very top of the mountain. Um, I was doing like double black diamonds and all of this jumps, tricks, whatever. And then I get home and I tell my parents, I can't do PE because I tried to run and I couldn't. And they were like, yeah, right, not even possible. It's like, no kind of possible, and so the MRI was scheduled for that week, and so they were like, you can sit out for now, um, and then I got the MRI, they said it would take one hour, they took five, and they did not get the full tumor, um, but then they were like, yeah, so this is a tumor, unknown, um, and I went to see my first surgeon early December, and he was like, it's probably osteo, it could be Ewing's, but it's one of the two. And that was really scary for me because my best friend was diagnosed with neuroblastoma a year prior to me. Um, and so I knew what the process was like and I was like, "Hmm, no, thank you. But you know, you got no choice. I was officially diagnosed on December 23rd of 2016. Super fun day. Um, (laughs) My first chemo was New Year's Eve. Um, and what was funny is my best friend, that was her last day of frontline, and it was my first day of frontline, and we were in rooms across the hall wearing right. matching hats and we were just like going at least, to each other's at least
0: You guys were together.
3: <laughs> I know. It was like it was really fun, but also really depressing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um,
3: and then I did full map and I had I had very few complications from map initially. Like I didn't have a whole lot of bad reactions. Um the most problematic thing for me was the surgery. Um, I went back to the surgeon that um, diagnosed me and he only let me see him two weeks before our scheduled surgery date. And he was, um, he told me that I was not allowed to get my leg amputated because I wanted rotation blasty, And he said in no way, shape or form would he do that. And he, I was only getting limb salvage and, If I didn't like that, he had a list of referrals he could send me and that I could go to for second opinions. And so I took that and we went to see one and they didn't want to disagree with him. They wouldn't take me off of his schedule, refused to do any type of surgery and also told me that they were also taking my knee because he just didn't think to mention it. And so I ended up having the surgery with the first guy because my parents thought I was dying and we didn't have a whole lot of other choices. Um, and I had limb salvage. And then I finished up chemo, I started seventh grade and I was like, walking really hurts, but nobody would do anything about it. And then six years of walking really, really hurts later and I'm now an above the amputee um, and in so much less pain and having so much fun in college.
0: Nice. It's amazing. Comeback story for sure. So no <laughs> recurrences, no nothing since No then.
3: recurrences. I think I'm 6 years out as of August. Um and yeah, just kind of monitoring all the side effects that could happen, but so far there's been pretty minimal um besides like hearing loss and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: So you mentioned you're in college now. So where would you say you're at now um, compared to where you were then? What are you up to these days?
3: Um, Since I was a baseball player, I can no longer play baseball because I had limb salvage and I couldn't run. Um, So I kind of stuck myself into music. Um, I went to an arts high school for jazz voice and classical violin. And that translated to me going to college as a jazz voice performance major. Um, And I'm at University of North Texas and having a really good time and learning a lot of really cool things. And I think really growing as a performer. And I think that's like the main reason why I wanted to come here. And it's really exciting.
0: Yeah, for sure. Awesome. We're so excited for you. And I'm 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 the similar way. Uh, I didn't play baseball, but I was um, active in Irish dance. And I also have leaned in to music. I'm not, I'm not a voice major, but definitely enjoy theater. So I guess that's a common string between us osteo warriors, but um yeah it's great to hear you're enjoying college and living life as you should be
3: yeah it's been really fun
1: <laughs> I'm so glad it's it, and it's it's so it's so great you know be, to, to hear your story as well because you did have a limb salvage and an amputation so in terms of storytelling you kind of you you, you know both sides of the coin um mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's that was,
3: great. that was one of the things that I like really like about coming on here and other platforms is like sharing that limb salvage can be great. It can be, but it's not the only option. Yeah. And I think like showcasing that if you're in that much pain, you shouldn't have to do that because that's what a lot of surgeons push. And I don't think that's correct.
1: Especially with, with all the technological advancements. I mean, obviously, we are not professionals in any way, shape, or form, but we, there, there is power behind our words because we are the people receiving care. We are the patients. Um, we are the champions. No, um, we... <laughs> <laughs> the amount of battle terminology used, we are the champions, apparently. Uh, doesn't feel like it, though. Um, but, you know, <laughs> obviously your voice especially has so much power too and you know what would you say to your younger self because i I feel like she would be proud
3: yeah i feel like i would say don't take things as seriously like obviously life-threatening things need to be taken seriously in some respect But that doesn't mean you have to think of life entirely as a serious situation, like find light in the fun things and do the things you love instead of like packing yourself into a corner, because that's what I did when I got out of treatment. I was very depressed. I like did not know what to do with myself because my friends were all like, life is great. I have no problems. And I was like, I have so many problems.
0: (laughs) Yep. I think
3: learning that other people have different problems and that you can relate with other people while still like experiencing differences is something that took me a really long time to understand but once i did i have so many like really good relationships because i understand that while our problems are not the same they correlate Mm -hmm. totally
0: totally get that and what would you tell a newly diagnosed patient that, you know, is scared and doesn't know what's what's coming?
1: Um, I would be, say
0: talk ha-
3: what? And
1: that, and that can be the age that you were diagnosed, that could be someone who's a little bit older, just a newly diagnosed patient, whatever you want to say. I them. feel
3: like talking to as many people as you can. I know like, especially in the newness of the situation, it becomes really scary to reach out to people or talk to people about it. But I think as soon as my mom went to the first MIB conference and got connected and like I started talking to people, it was so much easier to deal with because I knew more about what was going on. Um, And it didn't seem like, obviously it's very daunting, but it didn't seem like I was the only one who has ever gone through this and that, my problems were just mine and that there was no one that could help me through it because I feel like if you isolate yourself with just like especially with your parents at a young age they're going through the exact same moments as you and it's hard for them to like reassure you in all the ways that can be because they're also really really scared yeah and Once I started talking to other people, I realized that I could get support outside of my family, and it was a different kind of support. And if you add all of your support systems, it's a lot easier to manage.
0: For sure. Yeah, MIB really, I mean, is such a healing power. Um, Yes connecting osteo warriors especially the the ambassador agents program Mm -hmm. i've personally never taken part but having someone that's been through it and is there for the sole purpose of connecting and sharing their experience and making you feel less alone um would definitely recommend mib to anyone uh out there struggling uh wanting to know you're not alone in this um yeah
1: There's, I mean, there's, there's no guidebook for parents. There's no, I mean, obviously we have, you know, M.I.B.'s handbook. Um, Shameless plug for our incredible resource. Uh, But, which you can find on our website. Um, But, you know, there, there is no guidebook. And so at the end of the day, it's all kind of word of mouth or word of, I guess, blog maybe. Um, But it's just, hearing stories like yours because no stories are going to be identical even if you are on the exact same treatment because we all have different lives we all have different bodies genetic makeups etc etc i mean um so i'm i'm so glad that you know you have been able to find such great support systems and that Camila and i have as well and that we're all connected in this mib universe um
0: the cancer multiverse
1: (laughs) (laughs) the MIB multiverse <laughs> um so yeah I, you know it's just keep sharing your story it's such a great one um we're thrilled to have you on here
0: as always um and yeah Camille yeah I just thank you so much for coming on again you're a true osteo veteran and hero icon. at this point icon so thanks so much Sloan is living yeah of course
3: thanks for having me
0: all right, Eva. Welcome to Osteo. We're so excited to have you on. Thanks, Thanks for joining us. us. Yeah. So to start us off, can you share a little bit about the lead up to your diagnosis, when you got diagnosed, and a little bit about your treatment?
4: Yeah. Um. Well, my story is a bit weird because I'm from Mexico City, and um. I first, this was in 2014, and I was in seventh grade, or about to enter seventh grade. Um, I was a very active kid, so I was taking, like, dance lessons and tennis lessons, and April of 20, 000, 2014, I started getting this, uh, a lot of pain in my left hip, Um it's also a unique story because my mom actually had a melanoma a year before I was diagnosed. So she had just finished her treatment for uh, melanoma. So we had just gone through another cancer thing. So when I started feeling sick, um, I mean, of course, nobody thought it was something as serious as cancer again. You know, my mom had just gone through it and there wasn't any genetic predispositions. Right. So, um, My pain kind of just got ignored in the sense that I uh, went to like a a general um, like bone doctor in Mexico and my x-ray was clear enough that you could see there was a tumor if you were a good doctor, but kind of a hard case, like you would have to like really look into it so he couldn't really see anything. So April, I was told it was fine and probably just like a sprain. I kept on doing my things. The pain really didn't go away, but I just kind of learned how to ignore it because I really didn't, you know, I got... um, My doctor said it was fine. My mom said it was fine. And I've always been a hypochondriac. So I've always really been out about my health. So I was just like, it's fine. It's nothing. Um, Fast forward to August of 2014. I had just come back from summer break. I had been traveling with my parents and I had been walking a lot and the pain was just unbearable. I could barely sit anymore. I was starting to have uh, low grade fevers like it was bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I went to the doctor again and obviously this time he was like, fine, like we'll do an MRI. And when I was getting this MRI done, she was like, oh, there's a huge mass. Let's like talk to someone else. And we actually sent my scans just to my mom's oncologist because it was kind of like fast. We wanted a second opinion. Yeah. And my mom's oncologist saw it and was like, this is bad. Um, You guys should go to the States or somewhere that's more prepared for this looks like osteosarcoma. And uh, obviously I had no idea what that was. Nobody really knew what that was. I mean, I kind of knew it was bone cancer, but, you know, it's kind of a specific bone cancer. So uh, yeah, as soon as we got that news, the the next day we moved um, to Houston from Mexico, so I could start uh, a more specialized treatment. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the backstory. And then um, you asked about my treatment in yeah. particular. Uh, what would you want me to say, Camille? Um, just about what like chemotherapy was like, what surgery you got, um, yeah. stuff. Um. Like- Well, I kind of did um, just a normal regimen. So I had metastasis. I was stage four. So my primary tumor was in my left pelvis, my left iliac. But I had metastasis in my sacrum, in my L5, which is a vertebra in your spine. And then in my lungs, I had a couple of tumors in um, both lungs. So, my doctor, my primary oncologist first um you know we did the kind of map treatment I'm not really don't really remember particulars right now, but we did a couple of months to um to shrink the tumor and try to get uh the necrosis levels up, which are um dead cells as i mean if you you have cancer, you probably necrosis <laughs> right now yeah. Um, so we did that for a couple of months. This my treatment started August, and then November third, uh, which this year was nine years ago. But November third, I had an internal hemi where I got my left iliac bone and like the majority of my pelvis resected. And uh, um, there were a couple of different options. I went to a couple of doctors. Um, this is a very scary time because there's a lot of opinions and. There's not really a right choice. It's just up to what you and your family feel comfortable with and the opportunities you have. Because, uh, you know, a lot of my doctors recommended the the common route, which is amputation. A lot of uh, yeah. sarcoma patients, uh, as I, I don't know about you guys, but I have amputations. But um, my priority at the time as like a 12-year-old was that I was really set on keeping my leg so that was my priority at the time so we went with the surgeon that offered this internal hemipelvectomy which is um a bit uh, way more challenging than just like an amputation. Yeah. Um a lot more uh, mechanisms and like a longer um like healing time but it ended up working out for me. Um the, the biggest thing was relearning how to walk which I could get into that later. Um, but yeah, I had my internal, hem- internal hemipiolectomy in November. I kept having chemo like a month after surgery. Uh, like I waited a month and then I had started chemo again. Then I had a, uh, double, uh, thoracotomy to remove, um, my, um, t- um, lung tumors February. So like a couple of months after my first big surgery and then I kept having chemo. Did the regimen. Um, then I had cryoblation which is a type, of, another type of surgery where instead of actually cutting open and stuff, they inject. If I'm not wrong, liquid nitrogen and like freezes yeah. where I have them done. Yeah. Um, so I had that one. That was like my last big procedure, and uh, kept doing chemo until June of 2015. So it was almost a year of chemo and two major surgeries and a couple of minor surgeries for like the port the cryoblation yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. But um yes, it's definitely a doozy. <laughs> and for sure. It's a lot. Yes. Yeah. is always a lot. <laughs> it, it, it is nothing. always a lot, but honestly, I feel like all of us who deal with it then start comparing with other cancers and I'm like you know, while I was going through all of this, I was like, well, at least it's not blood. And it's like four years, which is kind of crazy Um, how a lot of these treatments are just long term or like life. You know, a lot of people just take chemo pills for years. So at the same time, it is a lot. But I am really grateful that it was that amount of time and not more.
1: Yeah, it's. Osteo can be really nasty. I've had thoracotomies. I've had multiple cryogenic and radio frequency ablations. And it's 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 no walk in the park. You know, it's
4: silly, is it? Yeah. <laughs> um lucky for me, um, my treatment respond I responded really well to treatment and my tumors uh were like in good margin and state. So my problem with osteo has been more than more post-treatment because the bigger part or the biggest consequence it had in my life was that I had to relearn how to walk. And now, you know, it's almost been 10 years from the surgery and I still like walk around with a cane and stuff. So that's even bigger than like chemo and like momentarily like treatment stuff. I'd say that's the one that had like a bigger um, impact on my life. Yeah.
0: I don't think I can name like one osteosarcoma patient that has had a 100% walk in the park successful limb salvage without pain, without needing um, crutches or a cane or something Mm -hmm. like that. Like it's, it it doesn't end when treatment ends. It continues even
4: when you're here. Exactly. Yeah. It's such a you know, like it's really important to do a lot of like extreme physical therapy, like the first few years after it, because those are like the most important ones. So that was definitely my biggest impact of it during my adolescence was that I basically spent all of my time in PT, relearning how to walk and, you know, how to move my leg and stuff. And now that I'm farther away from it, it's still something I struggle with, but I decided to kind of put it in the back seat in my life because I didn't want to let it keep being a huge problem the rest of my life. So, of course, it's still a problem and I still deal with it, but I'm trying to kind of not only think about that and just kind of move on from it and not, like, spend the rest of my life, like, hours in PT. I don't know. Right. Yeah.
1: You know, relearning how to walk was one of the most difficult, painful
4: things. Yeah, it's really... It definitely puts a lot of things into perspective because I feel like mm, this disease just like puts you in a place where you're like even your most basic identities or your most basic uh, skills that you're just kind of almost born with. I mean, you're not born knowing how to walk, but we all learn how to walk when we're super young and it's very humbling and just it's it's really sad to see that like other people don't even like think about like taking a step and like just walking to get coffee in a corner or something and for me and all of us you know it's just something that's so we had to work so hard to get to the basis point again that's it's a bit insane seeing how it kind of flips your life completely right yeah i mean if if you break
1: down the word like disability like this cancer is disabling like it takes away your b to go out and do the basics or well you know decrease your ability to do the basics and it's kind of you know relearning that new normal relearning how to walk and uh, to other people especially at our age especially when you are so young and you know camille is so young um at your age of diagnosis and, and when you're you know going through treatment, it, it's people don't expect you know, young young adults and kids to be the ones who are like, oh, I can't. You know, yeah. yeah oh, we have to walk a mile and a half. That's going to be. I have to plan ahead for that. I have to make sure I have yeah. the right footwear. I have to make sure you know I have a walking aid, whatever it is. You know, it's like you. You. It's like everything you have to think about ten times more than the average person.
4: Exactly, and it's it's really hard because, um, I don't want to. Like I don't want it to define who I am and I don't want people to think I'm less prepared or less able, which I mean, I am at certain points, but I've really, my main point all these years has tried to make it as much so it doesn't really impede me from doing things. So even though, yeah, I get tired and yeah, it's a bit like of a longer walk for me or like I get more tired. It's, I've built a community around me where I have friends that understand and respect me and don't see me as differently able than them they just you know give me more of a chance to like take it slower but the more important the most important thing for me is just to feel more normal and feel like I still fit in even though you know I have this cane and everything I still want everyone to see me the same way they just see another 21 year old which has been really hard. And as you said, since it was, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I was like really young and it's kind of defined my young adult years and my development during my adolescence. So it's been a big marker of my life and I'm trying to move on and try to see what other can what other things can define me other than just the fact that I struggle with walking. Right. That's that's awesome.
1: So where would you say you are now like how how many years any d are you i know that you said it's it was nine years november yeah 7th. so like are you in school what's what, what's what's what do you got going on
0: right now
4: yeah i um so around july of 2015 is when i was uh none no evidence of disease so i think it's been close to like eight years now if i'm not wrong um not really good at mental math But right now, I go and have a general checkup once a year. I, Well, the first five years were, you know, really intense because it's when you're more likely to um, go into um, relapse or I don't know. uh, I don't really know the, the, the right phrase for it right now at the top of my head. So the first five years, it was constant going every three months and getting like a full body scan. And it kind of like was really impeding me having a normal life. Um, Then the five years went by and then it became every six months, which was still a lot because every six months, you know, I'd have to halt my life and go to the hospital and do all of this thing again. But now, um, thankfully, I've been able to do only once a year, a couple of years now. So it really doesn't impede my life or make me freak out. I mean, I kind of just freak out when the time's coming, but I kind of learned to to deal with it. And right now, I am a senior in college. I study biology. Um, I have two quarters left, and I'm not really sure. Um, When I first got sick and was exposed to all of this, I was really into medicine and research because I've always really liked biology. But at the time I was became really passionate about like cancer bio and cancer research. And I did that for a couple of years, but I realized I'm not the biggest fan of chemistry. And (laughs) um, so I've kind of steered away from that part of research. And now I'm moving more and doing more. Um, I work a lot with fish and evolution and um, hopefully I'll apply to grad school maybe or get a job uh, soon next year. I don't really know what the next step is, but it's really exciting and scary that for the first time I can really take a normal decision at the age I'm supposed to take it, you know, and not having to do an extreme decision when I'm 12 that you not even like a 60-year-old can handle, you know?
1: Yeah. It's it's very it's very odd, you know, when when you finally have the power to make those decisions and you're
4: like, it feels almost wrong. I'm like I just, I'm like I can't believe I'm like crying right now. I'm worried about tests when, like seven years ago, I was worried about dying or losing my leg or whatever. It's 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 very hard as I'm sure as you guys can know to like allow yourself to worry about less important things. I feel like I felt guilty a lot of the time that I was like worrying about things that are superficial compared to, you know, just such life-altering decisions uh, that you have to make when you're in treatment or right after treatment. So that's been the biggest challenge, trying to just realize that my life is not in constant danger and that I should try to leave, live a more normal life, I guess. Yeah, that's right. great.
0: Yeah, and so what do you think you would tell your younger self or what would you tell um, a newly diagnosed osteosarcoma patient?
4: I feel like for my younger self, I'd tell them to not worry too much about living up to the expectations I set up to myself. I feel like when I got sick, I I personally kind of took it as a sign that if I made it and survived that means that I have to do something huge and that means I have to kind of like a lot of the part of why I wanted to do cancer research was because I felt like I owed it to the world and I owed it to give back to like the community that saved me and I wanted to be a part of it and I lived in constant guilt that if i'm not doing something something huge or like massively important i'm like not making the most out of this like second life yeah. so that was something i struggled a lot like while i was in high school and middle school i just like tried to i always was upset i wasn't doing something huge or changing the world or making a new liver out of paper i don't know um so i tell i tell my younger self to uh definitely just take it slow and not worry that much about what's there to come. And it's something I still forget now, so it's something I have to remind myself a lot. And for a newly diagnosed osteosarcoma patient, I mean, I'd say that it's not going to be easy, but I feel like more than focusing a lot of, like, on, like, specifics, I feel like when I was newly diagnosed, I had the urge to, like, check remission rates and check, uh, like how good this chemo is going to react and like papers. And I'm a very like scientific person. Like I like to see numbers. I like to see, I was really scared that I like the pro the chances of treatment working were so low, you know? And so I'd say that put that aside. I know it's really, really hard, but I feel like if you just What I did when I got diagnosed, it's kind of like put a mask on and like kind of be like, you know what, I can worry about this later. Right now, I just have to focus on one thing, getting through the day, getting through the week, getting through the month. It's very important to take it day by day. I feel like a lot of the times treatment is so overwhelming and so scary that you feel like you have to make all these big decisions now that your life depend on it. Uh, it feels like I mean it kind of your life does depend on it but sometimes I feel like we as patients kind of give it more power than it deserves at the moment I don't I don't really know if that if that makes much sense but um I just say that it's I mean of course just be ready to put on brave face for a while and to pull through and not really think about do you have to just stay on like focus mode and then kind of it's going to be hell, but it's it's going to be worth it and honestly life as someone who's disabled or i wouldn't even call myself disabled i'd say that i just have different a different body than a lot of other people it doesn't really impede me that much until i say what impedes me or not but you know i'd say that the, my biggest my biggest advice for a new newly diagnosed person is to just literally just keep it keep your keep on track of your just day to day and it's gonna get better like I it feels really hard when it's happening to see the light at the end of the tunnel often there's no light at the end of the tunnel when you're sick often it feels like everything's doomed and everything's bad but I feel like when that starts to happen you have to remember that don't you have to like just focus on the now and what you're doing that. And then you worry about the what ifs later, because if you just give a lot of the attention to the what ifs, when you're newly diagnosed, it's it's going to be really scary and really overwhelming. Yeah. So, You know, my best advice is just to just pull through and you're, it's going to be worth it. And, you know, it's better to live your life with like half a hip and maybe like a limp that people can notice and like not live it at all. So I just say that it's, you know, just time to actually, it's like probably the biggest thing you're going to have to face. You know, a lot of people when they're 60 or 70, they face something we face when we're so young. It's, you know, you are I mean, it's bad luck that you got it. It's definitely not cool or anything, but something you just got to put on a brave face and not think about it that much. I i don't have any better advice than that, unfortunately. It's its the worst lottery system ever. It's essentially it. <laughs> I do like... Sometimes I I tell my friends and uh, like people that know me that I think I'm like the unluckiest, luckiest person. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's so unlucky that this happened to all of us, you know, it's so like, what are the chances? But at the same time, we're so lucky that not only we'd like made it through, but like, we have this new perspective and this new newfound like freedom almost that you're like wow that's the hardest thing that's gonna happen now i just gonna try to live a normal life to the best i can
1: you know it's what, what's always helped me is to to remind myself you know it's like I, I i still have the basics you know i still have you know my mom and my friends and my girlfriend and a great you know support system I have a roof over my head. I have clean water, access to food, access to healthcare. At the end of the day, that's so much more than a lot of other people have. And so it's like, yes,
4: this is awful. I'm struggling. But at the end of the day, I appreciate it. It really is. But some, exactly, I have a very similar kind of um, thing I remind myself is that I, you know, as, as you probably both did, I spent like, 200 nights in the hospital or something like that. And every night I was in the hospital, I was like, one day I'm going to be able to pick where I spend the night. And it's going to be my own bed or someone else's bed, but I'll make the choice and I'll decide where I'm going to close my eyes and fall asleep. And I'm not going to be forced to be in a room or anything. And now it's something when I'm really overwhelmed or really struggling, I just slow down a bit and I'm like, at least I'm laying on my own bed. At least I can pick where I'm going to sleep tonight. And even if it feels like the world is ending, that's the one simple thing that I'm like, I know I've made it because I can finally pick where I'm going to go to sleep.
1: That's a really, really great outlook.
4: Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. It's it's hard finding those things that kind of keep you going. It's hard um, losing its like track because you know I remember I had one of my favorite nurses in my hospital her name was Angel and I remember crying to her one day because I was gonna get a blood transfusion and I don't know you know the whole thing with blood transfusions that like your platelets sometimes I don't like I don't remember right now the particulars but I don't I think I needed one but I couldn't get one so I was really sad and I was telling Angel that I was like super worried And she told me that one day I'm going to be crying about boys and I'm going to be crying about school and I'm going to be crying about other things. And I'll feel the same way I felt like at that moment about blood transfusions. But, you know, I'm going to sit back and be like, wow, at least I'm crying about boys and school and not blood transfusions. And now, even though the problems feel very real and as big as that blood transfusion felt at that moment, it's really hard, and I ha- try to remind myself. I sit back and I'm like, "Wow, how lucky I am that I'm worried right now about chemistry or whatever instead of my blood transfusion." You know, it's it's yeah. it, it's a constant battle to remind yourself and to take take a step back and realize that whatever's happening right now is not. You know, you've been through worse, and you can do. It. It's it's really hard sometimes to deal with normal things when you've dealt with the biggest thing.
0: Yeah. But
4: OCam is no walk in the park either. Just just putting that out there. (laughs) I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. But still I was it felt it felt so like such a big problem. And I was like, it is such a big problem. But at least it's, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not worried about my blood levels or my life. (laughs) And I can worry about something superficial. I mean, even if it's not superficial, it feels superficial compared to other things. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, Eva, thank you so much for joining us on Osteo and for sharing your comeback story. I know I feel inspired, um, especially having, you know, metastatic Osteo. Mm -hmm. Um, Just there, this is, you are living proof that there are survivors out there
4: and that there are hope. it's, it's so hard. And I'm really sorry about, you know, just having to get constant reminders that it can come back. I, thankfully, it hasn't happened to me. But, you know, my best advice is just don't, don't lose that hope because it's just, I feel like what saves us, you know, at the end of the day. Exactly. Well, thanks for sharing.
0: Thanks for coming over.
4: Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me. And it was lovely to get to know you guys. And I hope that this message helps anyone out there.
1: Thank you, everyone, for listening to Ostio. We appreciate it, as always. It has been an absolute honor and pleasure to interview Maeve, Sloan, and Eva. Their stories are incredible. We're so happy that we could share them with you today. And as always...
0: Till next time, that's the Bye, guys. Bye.